0: making people's lives better.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review. All things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer.
2: Uh, It's very likely that a a good number of these prescriptions aren't really necessary.
1: That's Dr. David Yerlink, the co-author of a recent report that found a huge percentage of seniors in Ontario's nursing homes are on a powerful mix of antipsychotics and sedatives. He'll tell us why he believes many of those prescriptions may be unnecessary. Plus, this week, Toronto's celebrity chef Susser Lee opened his newest restaurant. Lucky will bring a new take on China's old-world cuisine to the modern setting of Toronto's Soho Metropolitan Hotel. I'll go behind the scenes with the chef later on. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This week, the federal government pitched a new kind of pension plan. It's proposing what it calls a target benefit plan for crown corporations and federally regulated workers. Kevin Sorensen, Minister of State for Finance, told the Economic Club of Canada in Toronto, the voluntary plan would allow employers and employees to adjust benefits and contributions In times of surplus or deficit, Susan Eng is the vice president of advocacy for CARP, a new vision of aging, and she thinks there may be a hidden agenda. We wonder if there's some kind of hidden agenda and targeting uh, crown corporations like the CBC or Canada Post. They went out of the way to mention that those types of corporations would in fact be affected, uh, though the four core civil service would not be. So are they inviting them to switch their plans from defined benefits to target benefits? I don't know. They should answer that. Surfing the net may help prevent depression as we age. A new U.S. study suggests when older Americans regularly spend time online, they're about a third less likely to suffer from depression compared with peers who don't use the Internet. Researchers say the largest benefit was for people who live alone, suggesting that it's about connecting with others and eliminating isolation and loneliness. Cholesterol-lowering statins appear to be giving patients a license to overeat. A study based on 10 years of American data shows calorie and fat intake increased among statin users during the decade. The authors say it's an indication that many patients might be abandoning heart-healthy lifestyles and assuming that drugs alone will do the trick. They say the goals of statin treatment should be to help patients achieve benefits Unattainable by other methods and not to, quote, empower them to put butter on their steak. And finally, this week, we said goodbye to Herb Gray, a former deputy prime minister and Canada's first Jewish federal cabinet minister. Gray was elected to Parliament for the first time in 1962. He served the District of Windsor West for almost four decades, making him one of the longest serving MPs in Canadian history. Gray retired from federal politics in 2002. He went on to spend eight years as the Canadian chair of the International Joint Commission of Canada and the United States. In 2008, he became Carleton University's 10th Chancellor. He was a companion of the Order of Canada and received numerous accolades from universities, governments, and community organizations. Herb Gray was 82. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's a shocking revelation that will worry everyone with a loved one in a nursing home. Nearly 40% of the residents in long term care are on powerful antipsychotic drugs, many of them in combination with sedatives. Dr. David Eurlink compiled those startling numbers for the Ontario government, and I reached him in his office at
2: Sunnybrook Health Sciences. As a physician uh, who works at Sunnybrook, I often have patients come to me from long-term care, and they are frequently on uh, antipsychotics, but I think the overall numbers really here were quite, quite striking, especially in the younger people. So in the 65- in to 79-year group, you know, almost half of those people collectively were on one of these drugs. Do you have a theory
1: about why that is?
2: Well, I think there are multiple potential reasons. I think some people might actually need the drugs. I mean, sometimes people do have um, psychiatric disorders that warrant the use of these drugs. But in this population, I suspect it's more often than not used as a sedative. And sometimes it's used as a simple sleeping pill in the evening, which I don't think is good medicine. But sometimes it's also used to uh, you know, make the patient calmer, uh, which, which is sometimes necessary, but sometimes is not. It's commonplace for people in, in hospitals and long-term care facilities to want something to help them sleep at night, and, you know, very often the medical staff and nursing staff don't quibble with that. It's not a, you know, sometimes not an easy place to sleep, and so it's conceivable that some of these drugs were given simply as bedtime sedatives, which I don't think is a good thing to do, um, but I think in other instances it's likely that these drugs were given on a more regular basis to to calm people down, which is not an approved indication for the drugs.
1: Does this suggest to you that a lot of those people, you know, are, should not be on those drugs?
2: The sheer numbers are so high that it's hard to make the case that these all represent good, uh, you know, well-intentioned prescriptions. I would say that um, uh, it's very likely that a, that a good number of these prescriptions aren't really necessary. And I think it would be good if physicians rethought the practice of prescribing these drugs.
1: What percentage of these patients do you believe have dementia?
2: Well, it's hard to know that for sure. I suspect a good many of them. I mean, they're in long-term care for a reason.
1: Isn't it known that these drugs can kill people with dementia?
2: I believe it is known. I I don't know how widely appreciated the actual risks are, uh, but there's a pretty strong signal that there's a dose dependent. The higher you go on the dose, the more likely the patient is to die. And there are multiple reasons why these drugs can harm and even kill people.
1: Mhm and they are what are the reasons
2: Oh there's many I mean just the simple act of immobilizing someone chemically uh, you know predisposes them to things like pneumonia and to blood clots and to bed sores but as you go up on the dose um, there are adverse effects on the heart with some of these drugs. They can cause people to be confused and, you know, fall out of bed and, and have a, you know, break a, a hip or strike their head, which is obviously a, a dangerous thing to do. And there are even reactions to the drugs themselves that can be a difficult di- to diagnose and be potentially fatal within a few weeks of getting the medication.
1: So if you're on an antipsychotic and a sedative. Is that safe?
2: Well, there are many ways in which these drugs can interact with others, but you've hit on one of the more common ones, which is one sedating drug plus another sedating drug. So 1 plus 1 equals 5 is sort of the way to conceptualize it. And I think it sometimes is not safe. To
1: me, this is very worrying because when it comes to older people, we all know that a fall can be deadly or it can initiate a real downward spiral.
2: You're exactly right. I mean, I, I, that's welcome to my practice. I see these patients come to the hospital with their falls, and even if they don't break something or even if they don't bleed into their head after striking it, they often have a lot of pain, and that can land somebody in the hospital for a week or two, which has its own complications.
1: Going at it from the other side, so many of us have loved ones in long-term care homes, so what should the families do? What kind of a role should we play when our loved ones get a prescription?
2: We're quite good at starting medications. Um, We are not as good as we could be at stopping medications, which I think could frankly happen to a lot of these patients with very little harm and perhaps a good bit of uh, good being done. i have seen it firsthand, where patients are on these drugs on them for a long time, they come to the hospital, they're under my care, and we stop the medications, and you will often see a perceptible improvement in the person's cognition, Uh, and that's a valuable thing.
1: Okay. On that note, we'll wrap things up. Dr. David Yerling, thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. He's an acclaimed chef with a following around the world. This week, Souser Lee opened his newest Toronto restaurant. In just a moment, he'll join us to talk about Lucky, which offers a modern take on old-world Chinese cuisine in a sleek and swank setting.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better.
1: He was a pioneer of Asian fusion cuisine and one of the first chefs to put Toronto on the culinary map. Now, world-renowned chef Susser Lee has launched a new restaurant, offering updated takes on traditional dishes from the Guangzhou, Hunan, and Sichuan regions, as well as hot dim sum. Lucky is a sleek, modern space in Toronto's Soho Metropolitan Hotel. I sat down with Chef Lee in his small office just off the huge open kitchen. Tell me about the concept behind this new restaurant and also the name, Lucky, but
3: with two E's. It reminded me of this really old school Chinese restaurant, but modern with an with a, with a English name.
1: And is, is that what you're going for?
3: Totally. Totally. Old Chinese-style restaurant, uh, I meant the taste is still very traditional that way, but with a twist. And the room is very modern because you have to adapt it to, you know, people who works here and also how to uh, represent the food and giving people a little bit more of an, an experience that sometimes, you know, there's a stigma Uh, People say, oh, go to Chinatown or go somewhere with Chinese food. You don't know what you're eating. You know, they don't explain it to you properly. So, you know, this restaurant, it gives people a little bit more, uh, not a word, education, information. Uh, It's very exciting, you know, it's very exciting to have, you know, to have Lucky in Toronto downtown because you feel that you can actually come here and just say, this is very cool. But I still love, love the t- traditional taste of Chinese food. This is real stuff. And that's why I keep hearing from people. And another thing is, oh, I'm not scared to order anymore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> are we going to be seeing dishes from regions of China that we're not familiar with?
3: Oh, um, I think, you know, a Canadian I uh, do know, um, you know, the different area of... Uh, because, you know, the area that the food that uh, we are cooking... You know, you not you have uh, Hunan, you know Hunan, Sichuan, and also uh, uh, Guangdong and uh, Shanghai and Beijing. Those area are really one of the biggest uh, in China. They call it the most famous area for food. So, uh, so I have you know I have a Chinese restaurant in Singapore, and we have food uh, that is coming from different region, and even in China, you know a Chinese restaurant doesn't have to be just Hunan food. It could be Chinese restaurant. Uh, They serve Peking duck, but they have Hunan food, they have Cantonese food, they have Shanghainese food. So, you know, even China is changing. You know, it has that very kind of uh, uh, local international language.
1: Where do you think Toronto is at in terms of being a food city?
3: I think, you know, I always call this city a jewel. Um, You know, as Canadian, um, you know, we are not like to literally scream and yelling, you know, what we have here. We always have things, and uh, we are very proud of what we have. And this city has something really amazing. For example, you, we have Greek town, Italian town, Chinatown, we have so many Chinatown. And then uh, you have Indian town. So look at the food that we are cooking in our city, it's so authentic. As you know, this city is not really a, a tourist destination. Not like Paris, not like New York. Can you imagine this city? It will become that one day. And we have the food already, the foundation. Who doesn't like to go to the city to have good food?
1: Does the quality of food here compare with Hong Kong or New York?
3: Very much so. Look at my dim sum chef, look at my wok chef. The train, one from train in China, one train in Hong Kong. You know, all the techniques, it's there. And so, you know, um, so for me, working with them is giving them the little bit of twist of modernness.
1: In terms of people of our generation and food culture, I mean, really, um, I think it was our generation that really got into it in a way that previous generations haven't. You know, why do you think that is?
3: Our generation still have really good understanding of slow cooking, good taste. (laughs) Doesn't mean we are slow. Um, I think understanding about food And I think, um, look at certain things, used to grow much better. Now people can't even grow that kind of stuff, and then you you can't even taste that anymore. And we have the luxury to know that, to taste that. But the younger generation is way more faster, um, you know, willingly to try everything, uh, willingly to try food doesn't matter has to be just one style of food or it could be just one French or Italian. They like to have a variety of things on the table. I want this a little bit sour, a little bit spicy, a little bit salty, a little bit... They love that. They love that kind of engagement with food.
1: Well, thank you so much, and congratulations.
3: Thank you very much. I uh, hope you have a nice time tonight. Thank yeah.
1: you. Susser Lee's Lucky is open for dinner and weekend brunch in the Soho Metropolitan Hotel. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. One of Canada's greatest operatic tenors announced his retirement this week. In just a moment, we'll return with a look back at the career of Ben Heppner.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better.
1: Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer Worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown.
4: In New York City, remembering Lenny is a tribute to Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> it features an appearance by Bernstein's collaborator on West Side Story, Stephen Sondheim. Remembering Lenny takes place on Monday at Carnegie Hall. In Washington, one of John Coltrane's tenor saxophones is now part of the jazz collection at the Smithsonian. Mm The donation by his son, Ravi, marks the 50th anniversary of John Coltrane's masterpiece composition, A Love Supreme. The exhibition also includes the manuscript for A Love Supreme, along with some rare and never-displayed pictures from the recording session. To London, England, where a new exhibition shows how sculptor Henri Matisse practiced his craft in his final years. The 130 works at Tate Modern were created with scissors and paper. One even takes up an entire wall and is vivid with color. And in Lisbon, the Modern Art Center features what's described as an important collection of 20th century Portuguese and British art. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Book.
1: This week, Canada's virtuoso opera singer Ben Heppner announced he is stepping away from the world stage. Heppner is known for his signature Tristan in Wagner's opera Tristan and Isolde, as well as the title lead in Verdi's Otello. Heppner is counted among the world's top tenors, but the British Columbia-born Toronto-based singer has suffered from vocal strain that affected his performances or forced him to cancel engagements. The 58-year-old studied music at the University of British Columbia and shot to fame as winner of the CBC Talent Festival in 1979. Heppner earned both Grammy and Juno Awards and in 2010 was invested as a Companion of the Order of Canada, the honor's highest level. Right now we'll hear Ben Hepner with a recording from his album My Secret Heart, Songs of the Parlor, Stage, and Silver Screen. Here is we'll gather lilacs.
5: the scheme.
1: That was Ben Heppner with We'll Gather Lilacs. The Canadian tenor announced his retirement from the opera stage earlier this week. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thank you so much for joining me today. Please come back next week when we'll tell you how to decode medical slang with Dr. Brian Goldman.
0: You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neiman. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bandrea. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air.